0: Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. i I'm going to be looking at the first 12 verses in that chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 23, verses 1 to 12. Today we're going to look at true spiritual leadership and what that looks like, what it does not look like. And so if you would, follow along with me as I read from the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues, and respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, thank you for a great text. Thank you for the opportunity to declare your word this morning. Lord, I want to be your servant. I want to be clear. I want to be accurate. Lord, I desire that your word would go forth and would accomplish whatever you would desire. Lord, would you take your word and find a place in each of our hearts and that would you use your word to conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. S.I. McMillan in his book called None of These Diseases tells the story of a young woman who wanted to go to college but her heart sank when she read the question on the application blank that asked, are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote no, and returned the application expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received this letter from the college. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms revealed that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. (laughs) Well, in the Gospels, we encounter a group of people known as the Pharisees. You're familiar with them. They come to Jesus. They send their disciples to the Messiah to question him and to challenge his authority. The Pharisees were the teachers of the law the trained experts, those who considered themselves to be leaders. And because of their knowledge of the law and their strict adherence to the law, they were regarded as the spiritual elite, the spiritual leaders of Israel. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest leader of all, is now about to question and challenge them and to expose them for who they really were. False spiritual leaders, counterfeits. Hypocrites, which means actors who wear masks and not because there was a pandemic in Israel. We need to get ready here for some bold talk, not some real seeker-sensitive language here. This is language from Jesus that would be considered intolerant by today's society, enough to get one canceled. But they are words of truth coming from the one who declared, I am the truth. There's no doubt that the Pharisees were leaders, they had disciples, they had the ability of getting others to follow them, to revere them, and to obey them. But as we will see, the Pharisees were natural leaders and not spiritual leaders. In his great book entitled Spiritual Leadership, which I believe is one of the best books ever written on leadership, J. Oswald Sanders gives the difference between a natural leader and a spiritual leader. A natural leader is self-confident. A spiritual leader is confident in God. A natural leader knows men. A spiritual leader also knows God. A natural leader makes his own decisions. A spiritual leader seeks the will of God. A natural leader is ambitious. A spiritual leader is humble. A natural leader creates methods. A spiritual leader follows God's example. A natural leader enjoys command. A spiritual leader delights in obedience to God. A natural leader seeks personal reward. A spiritual leader loves God and loves others. And a natural leader is independent, but a spiritual leader depends on God. Today, I want to give you seven characteristics of true spiritual leaders, seven characteristics of true spiritual leaders that come right here from our text. We observe many negative characteristics here in the passage I just read for you, Matthew 23, 1 to 12, the characteristics of false spiritual leaders displayed in the lives of these Pharisees. But I want to use those negatives given in Scripture and turn them into positive characteristics as we look at the characteristics of true spiritual leaders. Number one, true spiritual leaders receive their authority from above. True spiritual leaders receive their authority from above. In verse one, we read that Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples And we come to a section here of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is about to speak for a long time. The rest of chapter three is composed of the words of Jesus Christ. Nearly all of chapter 24, which details the tribulation and the second coming of Jesus, and all of chapter five, where we have the parables and the final judgment, we see here Jesus speaking. If you have a red letter edition, you're going to see a lot of red from 23 through 25. So Jesus spoke to the crowds, verse two, saying the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. I love the New American Standard rendering here. It's a very literal translation where it says they have seated themselves. They were not nominated by others. They were not appointed by godly men. They placed themselves there by their own authority. The word for chair here in the Greek is the word cathedra, where we get our English word cathedral. It originally referred to a place or a seat of ecclesiastical authority. Today in our colleges and universities, you will have a, a chair of philosophy or a chair of history, many times replaced with the word dean. When the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church speaks in full ecclesiastical authority, he is said to be speaking ex cathedra or from the chair. And by the way, when he does so, it is considered to be infallible. Here we see a phrase called the chair of Moses. We know that Moses was the supreme lawgiver, and for 40 years he was the spokesman for the Lord himself. And to sit in the seat or the chair of Moses would make you the authoritative spokesman for God himself. And the Pharisees had placed themselves in this position. They had given themselves authority to speak for God. There's no record in the scriptures that God gave any authority to this group. Their only authority was to be the word of God. And the people who sat under the leadership of the Pharisees were to obey whatever they taught them from the scriptures. But the people were not to obey the traditions and the man-made rules of the Pharisees. This authoritative position was one that they had obtained falsely. It was a position where they had abused their power and their authority. It is clear in the Word of God that God is the giver of spiritual gifts. He gifts some men with the gift of leadership, He gifts some men with the gift of teaching, He calls some to the office of pastor teacher. But it is the Lord who raises up leaders for his church. Titus 1.5 says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Leaders, are in, the church, leaders in the church are not self-appointed. They are recognized by godly men and they are appointed by godly men. They are qualified. We don't have a sign-up sheet in the back for anyone who wants to be a leader. Because not everyone can be a leader in God's church. They must have character. They must be qualified. And we're going to see this in the next few weeks as Gabe teaches us from the book of Titus. But listen to Titus 1, 6 to 9. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believed, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict." True biblical leaders are qualified. They are not self-appointed and they receive their authority from above. Number two, true spiritual leaders obey their own counsel. True spiritual leaders obey their own counsel. Jesus there says in verse three, therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds for they say things and do not do them. And here we see that false spiritual leaders are low on character. They lack integrity. They say one thing, but then they go and do another. And Jesus commends them for telling the truth when he says, all that they tell you, do and observe. They knew the law and they knew the law well. They taught their disciples and their listeners well. You could have a full understanding of the law by sitting under them, by placing yourself under them. But the problem was this. They did not do what they told others to do. They did not practice what they preached. In fact, that is how the NIV translates this verse, saying, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. We have all heard the phrase, do as I say, not as I do, right? Hopefully you have never used that. If you have, you can repent and find forgiveness today. I once had a PE teacher um, growing up at Covington High School in Covington, Indiana. This man was huge. He was our football coach. He weighed well over 300 pounds and he would make us run in gym class. And some days he would just say, start running. And we would, so we would start running around the gym and we would ask him, how many laps? And he would just respond by saying, you're going to run till I get tired. As he watched us from the sidelines. Many of you may remember the anti-drug commercial in the 1980s where a teenage boy is in his bedroom listening to music. And his father comes in with some drugs that he had found in his son's closet. And he asks him, who taught you how to do all this stuff. I had to go on YouTube and get the dialogue. I'd forgot. And the son replies by saying, you, all right. I learned it from watching you. And then that powerful voiceover, if you remember, if you're uh, over or under 40, you won't know what I'm talking about. But the voiceover that said, parents who use drugs have children who use drugs, right? Well, the Pharisees exemplified these examples who said one thing, but were unwilling to do that very thing themselves. Dwight Eisenhower once said this, in order to be a leader, a man must have followers. And to have followers, a man must have their confidence. Hence, the supreme quality of a leader is unquestionably integrity. Without it, no real success is possible. No matter whether it is on a section gang or on a football field, in an army or in an office. If a man's associates find him guilty of phoniness, if they find that he lacks forthright integrity, he will fail. His teachings and actions must square with each other. The first great need, therefore, is integrity and high purpose. In Peter's first example uh, epistle, he would write this in chapter five, verses one to three. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ And a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. True spiritual leaders are not perfect, they too are sinful. I'm one of them. I am a sinner in need of a great savior. But they strive to do the very things that they teach others to do. Their intent is to do the very thing that they ask those under their authority to do, to indeed practice what they preach. Third characteristic of true spiritual leaders, they show empathy to those they serve. They show empathy to those they serve. Look at verse four. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. One of the common customs of the day in which Christ lived and taught was that of people loading up a beast of burden, such as a donkey or a camel, to the point where that animal could hardly move. And as they traveled along the road, the owner of the animal would walk alongside, carrying nothing and berating and beating the animal if it stumbled or stalled along the way, having no concern for the animal's welfare. And that is what the scribes and Pharisees were doing to their fellow Jews. They had piled up heavy loads of religious rules and regulations, too many to name and too many to remember. And they laid them on men's shoulders until they were unbearable and impossible to carry. And when the people failed to keep all of these requirements, which they were bound to do, they were ridiculed and they were rebuked by these religious leaders who then added the burden of guilt to the burdens of weariness and frustration. Long before Christ walked this earth, the Lord spoke to Ezekiel about such men. Ezekiel 34, verses two to five, the Lord says, son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel, prophecy and say to those shepherds, thus says the Lord God, woe shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for a lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. What a contrast with the Lord Jesus Christ, who said in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Number four, true spiritual leaders concern themselves with the glory of God. True spiritual leaders concern themselves with the glory of God. Look at verse five. Again, speaking of the Pharisees, Jesus says, but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. Where I went to high school many, many years ago, you only had to letter in one sport one time in order to receive a letter jacket. So I ran cross country. It was a fall sport. I wanted to get on it early. And um, so I made the varsity top seven and I earned a letter. I still remember paying $85. You know, you earn a jacket, but you're going to pay for it. And I paid $85 saving money from my paper route. And I got that letter jacket. I was so proud of that thing. And I still remember the smell of the leather as I pulled it out of the plastic. I think I slept in the jacket the first night. You better believe I wore it to school the next morning. It was 75 degrees that day, but I was a little chilly. (laughs) Needed my coat. A lot of pride. And the Pharisees were proud. They were not interested in glorifying God. They were more interested in glorifying themselves. Jesus tells us that they broadened their phylacteries. Phylacteries, many of you know, were small square boxes made of leather from a ceremonially clean animal, and they were dyed black. The leather was then sewn into a box using 12 stitches to represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there were copies of four different Old Testament texts that were placed into each phylactery Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 to 10, Exodus 13, verses 11 to 16. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, the Shema, the greatest commandment, and Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 through 21. They were tied to the forehead, or they were worn on the left arm just above the elbow, where some Gentiles attach their iPhones today when they are running or working out, because the left arm, they wanted it there because it was closer to the heart. So the Pharisees made their phylacteries larger than the normal size, in order to show their piety off to the world. Jesus then tells us that these leaders would lengthen the tassels of their garments. Like the phylacteries, the use of tassels had its origin in the Old Testament. In Numbers 15, we read in verses 38 to 40, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot, so that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. But the Pharisees, instead of Remembering all the commandments of the Lord used these tassels to remind themselves how spiritual and religious they were. They lengthened them. Again, not to call attention to God and to His holy commands, but to receive recognition and glory for themselves. The Pharisees did these things for their own glory and not for the glory of God. They had their own interests in mind and not the interests of the Lord. Jesus speaks about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 1 to 2, and then in verse 5, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. The fifth characteristic of true spiritual leaders, true spiritual leaders seek approval from God alone. True spiritual leaders seek approval from God alone. Look at verses six to 10. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. We'll just stop right there. When I worked for Fellowship of Christian Athletes for the first time back in the 90s, I was living in Danville, Illinois, and one of our main fundraisers each year was a luncheon where we had people come together for a meal and and presented the FCA ministry. And our first year, we had Our guest speaker was a man named Mike Singletary, who had played for the Chicago Bears. We had this luncheon at the Danville Civic Center, and we had a head table that was on the platform uh, in that arena, and that was for the distinguished guests, those that were part of the program. I was given a seat up there since I had to speak, and I did not like that at all. Uh, In fact, we got rid of the head table the next year. It was just so uncomfortable being up there. And I didn't like it because you're up there and you can only talk to the people sitting next to you. And everyone was watching you while you were eating. Um, The purpose was to honor those guests that were there and the speakers. But I was very uncomfortable eating in front of 500 people. I used my napkin a lot. But the Pharisees loved the place of honor at banquets. They loved the attention. They loved the recognition. At the same time, Jesus says they loved the chief seats in the synagogues. As in many churches today, the synagogues had a, a raised platform in the front where the worship leaders would sit, visiting rabbis and religious dignitaries would have a part in the service and would be asked to sit on the platform. I asked Sean Mornin, he's not here today, he's preaching at another church, but I asked him to sit up here on the stage every time I preach and to say amen throughout my message, but he, he keeps turning me down. But the Pharisees loved this opportunity. They loved to be out in front, on display. Once again, because they loved the attention. They, they loved the recognition. They loved it when people would ooh and ah over them and gave them the glory that they so badly wanted to receive. Look at what else Jesus says in verse seven here. They loved to be called rabbi by men. They love to be addressed as rabbi. This was a formal and respectful title used in their day, much as the title doctor is used today. Rabbi is the transli- transliteration of the Hebrew word, which means my master or my teacher. This title was originally merely a mark of respect. It was applied to, uh, to Jesus on a few occasions. You know this from the gospels. But like other common terms, it became inflated. And by Talmudic times, a rabbi's status was immense. His disciple had to obey him without question. He was never to walk beside him or in front of him. And he was never allowed to greet him first and so on. I read of one rabbi who, when he died, insisted that he be buried in white garments because this was why he wanted the world to see and know how worthy he was to appear before the presence of Almighty God. He may have had a rude awakening. <laughs> and in the time of Christ, the title rabbi carried the idea of supreme one, excellency, most knowledgeable one or great one. And so you can see why the Pharisees and the scribes love to hear themselves addressed in this way. One of the years that I was living in Indiana and serving as a pastor there on the west side of Indianapolis, uh, a group of us men and elders, we went out to the Shepherds Conference in California, Los Angeles. Um, and during a Q&A time with John MacArthur, pastors kept coming up to the microphone and addressing John MacArthur as Dr. MacArthur. Every person did this as they came to the mic. And John finally stopped and said, call me John. He said, they called Paul, Paul. I think you can call me John. And I appreciated that very much. The great leader, Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, who lived from 1700 to 1760, was tempted by rank and riches. Indeed, he is most widely known by the title of honor noted here, Count. But his attitude toward ambition was summed up in one simple statement. I have one passion, it is he, he alone. Zinzendorf turned from self-seeking to become the founder and leader of the Moravian church. His followers learned from their leader and circled the world with his passion. Before missionary work was popular or well-organized, the Moravians established overseas churches, which had three times as many members as did their churches back home, a most unusual accomplishment. Indeed, one of every 92 Moravians left home to serve as a missionary. Paul had some stern words to the Galatians about doing things to please men and not God when he says in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Jesus has been giving us here these negative characteristics about the scribes and the Pharisees, these false and counterfeit leaders of the nation of Israel. But it is at this point that he begins to give exhortation to his hearers, to the crowds and to his disciples as indicated by Matthew back in verse 1. Look at what he tells them in verses 8 to 10. But do not be called rabbi for one is your teacher And you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on your earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. Jesus says, do not be called rabbi. So as he speaks to the crowds and to his disciples, he would say, Peter, if someone addresses you as rabbi, correct them and tell them your name is Cephas. Or James, if anyone calls you rabbi, stop them and tell them your name is James. We've already seen what rabbi means, supreme one, most knowledgeable one, great one. But we see there is one who is in scripture as the preeminent one, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one in the scripture who is described as knowing all men, and that is Jesus. And there is one in the scripture who, who is to be called great. And that, again, is the Lord Jesus. Christ and Christ alone. Therefore, do not put yourself or do not allow yourself to be put in the place of Christ. Rabbi is a title reserved for him and him alone. I think we can understand this one. I think it is clear. The next one is a little more difficult when Jesus says in verse 9, do not call anyone on earth your father. Uh Uh-oh, it's Father's Day. (laughs) Well, before you cancel, get off your phones, you're canceling your reservations. Before you do that, uh, before you take back that gift that you got for your dad this year, probably an ugly tie and socks, before you go home today and start addressing your father as Greg or Alan or John, (laughs) remember here that Jesus is speaking in a spiritual context. I do not believe he is prohibiting you from addressing your dad as father. After all, the fifth commandment states to honor your father and your mother. Paul addresses dads, as fathers, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, writing, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The term father was apparently reserved for the patriarchs and revered teachers from the past. The members of the Sanhedrin, the high Jewish council, Which was made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. They loved to be addressed as Father, especially when acting in official capacities. I was trying to think of a modern day application and really struggled to find anything. I'm just kidding. We know the Roman Catholic Church and even some formal Protestant churches use the term father as an official form of address for their clergy. Even the titles abbot and pope are forms of father. Jesus is very clear here. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. There is one who is your father, and that one is in heaven, that is the Lord himself. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he told them to pray in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. I feel compelled to help you here because many of us have friends or family members who are in the Roman Catholic Church who refer to their priest as father. Perhaps some of you interact with a priest. You may know a priest from a local parish. And so how are you to address that person? Uh, We had a Roman Catholic chaplain at the Naval Academy recently. Um, You can get away with calling all the chaplains, Catholic and Protestant, chaplain, even the Jewish chaplain. That's a title that all of them use, but he always introduced himself as father. So what are we to do in that situation? Well, please don't be a rebel and address him as pops or (laughs) king daddy or non-father, that would not be good, okay? When Jesus is teaching this important truth, the church as we know it was not yet in existence. There were no Protestant churches and there were no Catholic churches. There were no fathers who had authority in local parishes and congregations. Hopefully you and I understand the principle Jesus is trying to teach here, that there is one father and that is God alone, amen? Any who, Anyone who claims the title of father out of pride and for self-elevation, finds himself in competition with Almighty God. And God's going to win every time. But I don't know if you are in sin, if you see a Roman Catholic priest this afternoon at Wegmans or Whole Foods or where you go to eat and address him as father with a small F that you would be in sin. You would do so out of respect. You are not acknowledging him as the father you are not putting him in the place of Christ. I did a lot of reading on this subject, and the best thing I read came from Craig Blomberg in his commentary on Matthew, where he says this, there is nothing inherently wrong with the Roman Catholic use of father for priests or with the Protestant reverend for ministers or even the academic doctor for people with certain degrees. But one one wonders how often these titles are used without implying unbiblical ideas about a greater worth or value of the individuals to whom they are assigned. One similarly wonders for how long the recipients of such forms of address can resist an unbiblical pride from all the plaudits. It is probably best to abolish most uses of such titles and look for equalizing terms that show that we are all related as family to one Heavenly Father, God, and one teacher, being Christ. I think that's a good balance. I do want to say this, though. We often hear the Pope as referred to as Holy Father. If you are old enough to remember when John Paul II died, we heard that phrase used over and over in the coverage. And that is unacceptable. Holy Father is a term reserved for God and God alone. There is no question about that. This is a title that Jesus used for God the Father, his Father, while praying in the garden just before his arrest. In John 17, 11, I am no longer in the world and yet they themselves are in the world and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me that they may be one even As we are. Verse 10 says, Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, and that is Christ. This word can also be translated teacher. That is the word found in many of our Bible translations. The King James Version translates this master. And the word here referred especially to a tutor. I think Jesus here is not issuing an absolute command. People are properly called teachers throughout the New Testament. Paul even refers to a spiritual gift that enables some people to be so identified. Jesus is forbidding this terminology when it is used in the formal exalted sense, that which was common in ancient Judaism and is still common today in many religious circles. The point that Jesus is trying to make, I think here in verses eight to 10, is that titles such as rabbi, father, and leader or teacher are not to be used to confer privilege or status. I hope that's helpful. Number six, the sixth characteristic of true spiritual leaders, they understand greatness is attained through sacrificial service. True spiritual leaders understand greatness is attained through sacrificial service. Jesus says here in verse 11, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Since we're close, if you would just flip back to Matthew chapter 20. I want you to just look here at verses 25 through 28. Verse 24 says, Hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The example for us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we read of his example, example in John t- chapter 13, verses 5 through 11, where we read that he, bore, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. I just picture Peter trying to dive into that basin of water after Jesus says that to him. Later in that passage, we read that so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the, te- the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master." nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You see, there is no blessing just for having a knowledge of these things. There's no blessing for simply teaching them to others. The blessing comes in the doing. Greatness is attained through service, sacrificial service, service that edifies the church and brings glory. God. Finally, number seven, true spiritual leaders understand exaltation is attained through humility. True spiritual leaders understand that exaltation is attained through humility. Verse 12, Jesus says, Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Peter would write, 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. I think John the Baptist is such a great example of this. I've been teaching through the Gospel of John to our college age group on Sunday mornings. I want you to listen to these verses from the early chapters of the Gospel of John. John 1, John the Baptist testified about him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John 1, 19 to 21. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. No. John one twenty six to 27, John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John one twenty nine to 30, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. John three, twenty-seven. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. What an appropriate verse for these Pharisees who had placed themselves in the chair of Moses. And then finally, John three, twenty-eight to thirty. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. St. Francis of Assisi, the author of that great hymn that we sing here, All Creatures of Our God and King, was once confronted by a brother who asked him repeatedly, Why you? Why you? Francis responded in today's terms by saying, why me what? And the person said, why does everyone want to see you, hear you, obey you? You are not at all so handsome, nor learned, nor from a noble family. Yet the world seems to want to follow you, the brother said. Then Francis raised his eyes to heaven, knelt and praised to God and turned to his interrogator. You want to know? It is because the eyes of the Most High have willed it so. He continually watches the good and the wicked, and as his most holy eyes have not found among sinners any smaller man, nor any more insufficient and sinful, therefore he has chosen me to accomplish the marvelous work which God hath undertaken. He chose me because he could find none more worthless, and he wished to confound the nobility and grander, the strength, the beauty, and the learning of the world. Are you a leader? And are you a natural leader or a spiritual leader? Are you a false leader or a true leader? You may say, Kirby, I'm not a leader at all. I'm like the young college girl in your opening illustration. I'm just a follower. Well, the Lord however, may be calling you to lead. If you're a husband, you don't have a choice. God has called you to lead in your marriage, to be the head of your wife as Christ is the head of the church. If you are a father today, you have no choice. God has called you to be the spiritual leader of your family. Moms, guess what? Uh, As the great theologian Alice Cooper once said, school's out for the summer. That's not an endorsement of Alice Cooper, just lyrics that really fit. He does claim to be born again today though. Many of your moms have your children at home with you during the day while your husband is at work and you are called to lead your children and to teach them diligently. Men, God may be calling you to lead a Bible study at your workplace. Ladies, God may be calling you to, to host a luncheon in your neighborhood. Young person, God may be calling you to lead an organization in your school. Oswald Sanders again says this, people without natural leadership skills do not become great leaders at the moment of conversion. Yet a review of the history of the church reveals that the Holy Spirit sometimes releases gifts and qualities that were dormant beforehand. And A.W. Tozer, a true and safe leader is likely to be one who has no desire to lead, but is forced into a position by the inward pressure of the Holy Spirit and the press of circumstances. There was hardly a great leader from Paul to the present day, but was drafted by the Holy Spirit for the task and commissioned by the Lord to fill a position he had little heart for. The man who is ambitious to lead is disqualified as a leader. The true leader will have no desire to lord it over God's heritage, but will be humble, gentle, self-sacrificing, and altogether ready to follow when the spirit chooses another to lead. He may be calling you. And if he does, be encouraged because he will equip you for the task. And he has outlined in his word the character qualities that you are to possess as you follow him and lead others for their good and for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word today. Your word is so relevant. We don't have to make it relevant. It is relevant. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is profitable. And Lord, what a great passage to look at as we think about spiritual leadership and how that is so different from the leadership we find in our world, in our nation, in our state, in our communities. Lord, I pray wherever you have placed us that we would not be natural leaders, but we would be spiritual leaders, that we would lead for the glory of God and not for the glory of man. Lord, that we would be quick to point others to Christ, the author, the finisher of our faith, our hope, the one in whom we are complete. Thank you for these dear folks. Thank you, Lord, for your promise that your word will not return void. It will accomplish whatever you desire. Would you do that now in Jesus' name? Amen.